Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com and RockAuto.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb, and welcome everyone to MotorWeek podcast number 261. And joining me via Zoom today is our writing to wheeling reporter, Brian Robinson. Hello, everyone. Our over-the-edge reporter, Greg Carlos. Good to be back. And welcome back, Greg. And our online content coordinator, the one and only Jessica Ray. Always good to be here. <laughs> All right, everybody. We've got three very interesting vehicles, four maybe if you uh, split hairs. A lightning round, a viewer question from Paul. We'll see if anybody's got any rant and race, but let's get right into it. The 2022 Jeep Wagoneer, Grand Wagoneer, the return of the, the rear drive based, full framed SUV over at Jeep. Jessica, why don't you take the lead on this one? You've had time behind the wheel. What do you think? And is it getting too confusing at Jeep? <laughs> That's a good point. It is a little bit confusing at Jeep right now. And, um, um, but so basically, uh, you know, the big difference between the Grand Cherokee L and these two Wagoneers is that the Wagoneers are full-size three-row SUVs. Um, you know, these are trucks, whereas I feel like you could probably argue that the Grand Cherokee L is not a truck based upon its smaller unibody chassis. Um, but anyway, so these are full-size SUVs. They are big. And, um, Suburban and expedition uh, fighters, right? Not yet. Not suburban size. We're talking but, Tahoe but size. Tahoe, right. Yeah. Um, Tahoe size. So the Wagoneer, um, which is, I would call the more base model, that targets the Tahoe, uh, the expedition. Um, whereas the Grand Wagoneer is like the luxury side of it. And that targets the Escalade, the Navigators. Um, so the, that's really the, the, the difference between the two, because visually, when you look at them outside, there's not much difference other than, uh, the Grand Wagoneer has more chrome, um, and probably just, uh, also has the, um, with the Grand Wagoneer, you can get, it's, you have to get, or, or I don't want to say have to get, but it is a black top on it. Whereas uh, it's just a body color top for uh, the Wagoneers. But essentially, when you look at it, it the front is very Jeep-like. It is very similar to what we've seen for, for the new Grand Cherokee, uh, but of course, much beefier. It's got your typical uh, Jeep grill. Um, whereas you move toward the back and it's very square. So in the pictures, I know it definitely looks odd. Um, squared off like that because it has a has a sort of like angle to it that if you look at it at, at at like by the side or like directly from the back it almost looks like a Range Rover in some cases mm. um and honestly we were driving around New York City and people were like what on earth is that they had no idea they didn't know what it was <laughs> and um, but it definitely looked better in person. I will say that, uh, for sure. But I had, uh, I spent a lot of time in the Grand Wagoneer and that's really where, um, it's at because it's meant to be like extremely luxurious. 
And um, the interior is definitely extremely luxurious. It's uh, just the, what it has inside. It has um, the quality of the materials is much better. I got a taste of that sort of in the Grand Cherokee L and um, they definitely, it, it was very surprising how luxurious it was inside the, the Grand Wagoneer. And of course, the big thing is they have all these uh, entertainment screens as well inside. So they have this uh, screen specifically for the passenger um, that can control very much like MBUX that we see in Mercedes, where the, the, the driver or the in this case, the passenger can control the screens in the back of the car. Mm. So, um, and also the passenger can control the driver's screen. So say um, you need to change navigation, uh, the passenger can just change the navigation and throw it onto the driver's screen um, so that the driver doesn't have to do anything. So, and then of mm. course, like there's parental, it's very much like um, one parent is driving, the other parent is in the passenger seat and you can control what the kids are watching in the back. You can see those screens. All three screens have their own mm. HDMI ports. So you can plug really anything into it. They come with um, the Apple Fire Stick. So you can basically watch anything, anywhere. It has a wireless hotspot. Um, so the, the technology inside is just... <laughs> It's like every kid's dream, truthfully. <laughs> um, and, and maybe even every parent's dream too, because in the driver's seat, it's quiet. It's really soft because of the, the quadrilift air suspension. So it drives very nicely. So I can just imagine on a long road trip, like that's just a solid truck to be in. Mm. Yeah. Fellas, any comments? What was the pricing again? I remember um, it's, it's, it's very high. So uh, the Wagoneer Series 1, which actually like the base one isn't even out yet. That comes later. But that starts at about $58,000 before destination. So you're probably looking much closer to uh, 60 for the base. And then the wagon, the Grand Wagoneer, ooh, I want to say... The one that I was in, which was in the top of the line, actually MSRP for $108,000. Yeah. I think it's fair to just say about $100,000 or <laughs> yeah. more in the Grand Wagoneer, which is just, it's kind of insane to think that a Jeep can cost over $100,000. Uh, but I, I have said, uh, I will say that when a new car comes out, it usually takes a few weeks for me to start seeing them on the road. Uh, I've already seen a uh Jeep Grand Cherokee L, a couple of them on the road. And if I'm not mistaken, I saw a Wagoneer somewhere. I don't know if they're on sale or what, but there was definitely a Wagoneer driving around in my travels. I don't think they're on sale yet, but wait, you were in New York, weren't you? Uh, Yeah. And I can't remember where I saw it. So it I was in New, New York. York. They're so they still might doing... still, still shuffling yeah. them around. They're still, they're, they're, they're almost they done with... They're almost unmistakable because of those that rear, uh, the flatness and the squareness of the rear. They, I don't think they look like anything else that Jeep does. But. Agree. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. they're definitely very unique looking. And that's why people were like, what is this? I've never seen something like this. Yeah. I think there's definitely a market for it. I'm a little nervous, though, 
Uh, we'll see what happens with the economy going crazy right now. Prices of everything are skyrocketing. If you remember the last time Jeep tried a big three row, the Commander, right. that came out in 06. And I think it was like 2008 when the mortgage uh, subprime bubble popped and the economy took a dive. And that was out of the market by like 2010. So the Commander was big but it was not too big to fail like all the banks at the time. So it, it didn't get to stick around. So uh, I'm a little nervous in that regard. I think if it would have come out a couple of years ago, um, mm. it would be a runaway hit. I'm a little nervous, maybe a little bit too late. Uh, I'm not in the market for anything that big or pricey, but if, if you are, it's definitely worth checking out. Uh, I wish them the best. You know, at that price level, I mean, you're up against some pretty serious competition from, Mercedes and Audi and BMW. I mean, that when you start talking about, you know, six digits for a domestic brand, it it really has to live up to it. And obviously the interior is pretty special. But I'm wondering, you know, it's such an opulent vehicle and it's such a, a big vehicle. Your traditional Jeep buyer, even the the Grand Cherokee buyer, that seems to me that that's not the market that they they're looking to sell this to a new buyer, somebody who maybe wouldn't have even thought about Jeep before and says, hey, I can get all the luxury I want, plus the uh, the aura of, of the off-road capability of a Jeep, even if I'll, it's far too big for anything serious. But I don't know, did they say anything about who they think will buy them? No, they really didn't talk too much about demographics, but I imagine they just probably want to prop themselves up against GM and Ford um, and, yeah. and take away some of that. I, when I looked at it and when, when I tested it, cause we did get to test a little bit of its off-road capability as well, lightly, you know, some, some rock gardens and yeah. such. Um, but enough to realize that it's, it's, I mean, it's got, the the Grand Wagoneer specifically has the top of line Jeep off-roading um, abilities within it, and um, I, to me, it makes it, it. It's like where where would I see this? Probably at every ski resort yeah. ever known to man. <laughs> um, yeah. Just because I think it probably would would beat out uh, the the competitors in in the off-road capability if that's what you know you're interested in, but. Well, sure, it's going to be used more for exact that, you know, taking all the gear up to, uh, you know, mount a snow or whatever, wherever you go skiing. Yeah, super okay. roomy, though, too. So it's, <laughs> yeah. it's definitely, definitely, definitely competitive. I'll say that. Yeah, I got, I've only seen it static as they had one at the um, uh, Chicago Auto Show that we got to look. And it, it is a big vehicle, but I agree with you. It looks better in person than it has in the pictures. Let's flip over now to Greg. Uh, you've had an opportunity to drive uh, the reincarnate, the latest, I should say, rendition uh, of this car, the 2022 Toyota GR86. I know the embargo has just come off. Uh, what can you tell us about it? Uh, well, I can tell you everything now that the embargo has come off. Uh, but ironically, uh, pricing was one of the things that was embargoed when I went on the event. And uh, <laughs> even at the event, Toyota was like under $30,000 and we're like, okay, can you, you give us an actual price? And they're like, not right now. We'll wait until like they, they Toyota has a tendency to wait until like right before it goes on sale yeah. to give exact pricing. And that's what, 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 
for for those that that aren't familiar with the 86 because it is a fairly low production vehicle give us a description of what we're talking about and where this new one fits in the lineup yeah so it started as the scion frs a two plus two little coupe uh low horsepower it was a joint uh uh, project with uh, Subarus that really the only way it could happen was with Subaru's uh, you know help uh, so like I said it's a, a little a little sport coupe um, not quite be a uh, Miata because a Miata is obviously a, uh, a drop top this one's a hard top and it's aimed for like a younger crowd or an older crowd who's used to like a, like an S2000 or just like a really bare bones coupe that's not overly powerful but more about uh balance and uh if you're to take it auto crossing or out on a, a road course i mean that's where it shines so um i mean if you if you look at it compared to the old frs which eventually went from scion to toyota and then became the 86 mm-hmm. uh hearkening back to the old corolla ae86 um it's it's a little less angular if you look at it from the front. So the, the, the grill's a little bit taller down low. It doesn't really change the position of the grill. It's a mesh black grill up against, if you look at this color, it's a, a, a track bread. It's a red that they've called track bread. Um, but it's a uh, very contrasty against that color. Um, it has a, a duckbill spoiler. If you go up to the premium model, it kind of looks like a Supra where it like swoops up at the end. It's not necessarily like a lifted off wing or like a add on spoiler. It's just, it kind of looks like it just flows from the deck lid and then just as a little turn up to the sky. Uh, so it's, like I said, kind of harkens to the, uh, the Supra. Um, the, so two, two grades, uh, again, it's all about simplicity with this car. You have a base model and you have a premium model. You, there's some wiggle room in between about options and things like that, but basically that's it. You want a base with 17 inch wheels and less sticky tires, or do you want the premium model with some heated seats, Alcantara uh, mixed in there with leather and 18 inch wheels with uh, Pilot Sport 4s, uh, which as I found out at the uh, track I was at the other day, uh, Monticello up in New York, it makes a huge difference. it's uh yeah i mean those those um i don't want to say cheaper tires but the entry level tires are harder and it makes it a lot more tail happy which is fun don't get me wrong i mean it's it's a car that you uh feel very confident in it being tail happy because it's not that hard to bring back in again the whole balance thing uh but if you're like really into setting lap times and you want to be the best at your uh your autocross days uh, the premium is probably where you want to go because you do get the 18 inch wheels and you do get the stickier tires. Uh, you can have an automatic or a manual transmission with, with either grade. So that's good. Uh, I heard, I did not confirm, but I heard that the current 86 sells like 80% automatic transmissions, which blows Sad. my mind for a car Just like this. <laughs> it, I mean, I, again, I didn't confirm that. That's what I heard. It's probably uh, true. It, which it shocks yeah. me because I mean the automatic's fine, but why would you get this car and be like I just want to drive around in an automatic? I mean, to me, it's all about the driver engagement because it's it's not like a a cushy car that you want to drive on road trips. It's something you want to go out and have a good time in. So 
I mean, I hate to sound like a typical auto journalist, but I mean, the manual is the way to go in this one. They, uh, they updated it for 2022. It's uh, smoother shifting. Uh, I was able to test the current Gen 86 and the new one. And I mean, there's a vast difference between the two. They're both fun to drive. The whole personality of the, the, uh, the first gen certainly transitions into the new one, but the new one is just much more refined, a little more powerful because they go from a two liter boxer up to a 2.4. So you have 228 horsepower now, a little bit more torque. But the, the big story with that is with the bigger engine, you have a wider torque curve meaning that the power that was only available in the original up at like over 6,000 RPM is now available at 37 to 3,600 RPM. Mm. Uh, might not sound like a lot or like a big deal to um, somebody who's just listening, but trust me, if you get in and drive it in any type of performance situation, I mean, it's, it's noticeable immediately. Not like it's a completely different car power-wise. It's not gonna, it's still not a very fast straight line car. Uh, it's like six seconds to 60 in a manual version. But if you're going to use it uh, on a track autocross, you're going to notice a big difference with that uh, earlier torque hit. Brian or Jessica, about the whole 86 concept. Oh, I mean, love it. You know, I mean, the FRS, when that came out, I mean, I love that car. I was, you know, like most people, I would have loved to have seen more power in there. Um, but it's it looks so much like the Supra. It's not. It's like you can get a Supra and Super Light now. Um, mm, I, I'm, I'm sure it's incredibly fun to drive, and I'm it, sure you probably don't miss the extra power. Or did you on the track? Yeah, I do because I think now we're so used to cars that you know pretty much provide effortless power. So we ended up going on to the full Monticello circuit, which has some high speed areas and you just you could tell it's just it's just not that fast of a car and the tuner market's going to get it they're going to start throwing turbos on it and i still feel like that's going to make it a really really fun car uh but what it has going for it is like i said toyota says under thirty thousand dollars and i think you'll be able to get a really nice one for around that thirty thousand dollar range you have all kinds of gr uh accessories and i forgot to mention this is under the gr badge gazoo racing which if you remember the supra's also under a gr yeah. badge it's a sub brand that's as toyota says uh built by enthusiasts for enthusiasts so <clears throat> this car will have all kinds of add-on options you can get a cat back exhaust uh forged wheels i mean all kinds of stuff you can really check it out at the dealer if you want to uh, you just, you know, you'll have to go to the aftermarket if you want more power. Uh, but like I said, it's, it's, it's a, it's a car that you feel extremely comfortable driving at your absolute limits because you can just throw it into a corner and not much bad's going to happen. It'll move around on you for sure. But I mean, it's so well balanced it, making corrections. is just like literally, I mean, you can choose to, you can steer it with a throttle, uh, quite a bit. And I mean, you can just steer it with the traditional steering wheel. It's just so easy to correct any kind of uh, <clears throat> oversteer. Yeah, I love that they're making it and continue to make it, especially with the manual. I just wonder why they're still partnering with Subaru and why they had to partner with BMW with the Supra. I mean, I've heard all the reasons why, but I was just looking back at our Lexus RCF track edition test not too long ago. And that car is an absolute beast on the track. It's like Toyota can do 
you know, that would have made a great Supra, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know why they insist on partnering with everyone. Uh, I think it'd be more, I'd be more jazzed about it if it were like all, all Toyota. Mm -hmm. Especially considering they've got so much money in the till. Jessica, any comment on it? I mean, I think um, the, the, there is a market for it. It's very niche. Um, and there are still a lot of, I think, young people who are interested in buying manuals. I don't think it's uh, so, so much, but pri the price is right for, I think, a, a lot of um, uh, say younger millennials and even some older of the Gen Z um, to, to actually be able to afford buying them. Um, if they, you know, of course, if you don't want to just go with, say, a, a Honda Civic uh, for something sporty with a with a, a manual transmission. Um, so now I'm ex I'm excited to uh, like see it in person and um, sort of see some on the road, actually. You know, it's it's when you really look at it, you've got the Miata, you've got this, the 86 and over at Subaru, you've you've got just a few vehicles that are trying to keep this entry-level joy-to-drive sporty coupe slash roadster market alive. And, uh, you know, kudos to them. I just hope that it's not going to die off. Not everything's going to end up being, you know, some kind of a hatchback or SUV. So I'm delighted they put the money in it to actually do a second generation. I think that was questionable. All right, why don't we move on to uh, our third vehicle for this podcast. And for Brian, we're going to turn to you. 21 Hyundai Elantra. This is actually a lot more than just a little compact sedan. It's quite a complicated lineup. Why don't you take it from there and tell us why this car is, is really so important. Hmm. Uh, it's a lot to uh, answer. I'm not sure I'm prepared for all that, but... Uh... Yeah. Saving the best for last, you mentioned that they in a complex lineup now. They do have a high-performance N and N-line versions. They got a hybrid now. Uh, what we're talking about mostly today is just the base uh, Everyman 2-liter I-4 Elantra with a naturally aspirated 147 horsepower engine. Um, the whole Elantra lineup, it looks dramatically different. You've seen it. Hyundai is not afraid to mix things up uh, with styling. We've certainly seen that. It's longer, lower, wider, coupish look. All the trendy uh, boxes are checked off. Um, but taking a page from the Lexus book, it's the whole front end is all grill. It's got this huge black, big blocky jewel pattern grill. It spreads across the whole face and then uh, out to the headlights, like wings coming up the front. Uh, mm. It's You definitely see it coming at you. You know, it's something different. Uh, but even more than that, down the side, they've got really aggressive body lines. Uh, we've seen that in a few other cars lately. There's really chiseled look. Uh, they got this big, thick line coming out of the front. And then as it heads towards the rear, it kind of splits. One line goes up towards the, the deck and one line kind of points towards the rear wheels. So it's definitely aggressive looking. I'm not sure it's um, great looking. Um, you definitely, I'm not sure it's like a classic timeless look it's definitely more modern and meant to appeal to people right now it's got the long hood definitely more sporty and aggressive than luxurious i think whereas inside um it's actually very luxurious 
Uh, Hyundai is really good at uh, taking the high, the things you see and touch the most, like the top of the dash, top of the door panels, the center console, everything's super high quality feel. But uh, then when you go looking around, like the lower door panels and the dash, anything in the back seat, the trunk, that stuff looks a little more, you know, entry level. But utilitarian. All of, uh, what's that? I said utilitarian. Yeah. Uh, but great tech, uh, eight inch touchscreen standard, all kind of safety uh, stuff standard. Lots of room inside. It's technically a midsize car uh, with all the room inside. I mean, we we talk all the time about how, um, you know, compact cars. Now you can get everything from a luxury car and from midsize cars. That's why everyone's buying uh, compacts now. You got all the space of a midsize. The only real reason to buy a midsize at this point is just the longer wheelbase. You get a better ride. but uh, everything you get in a midsize car is in this car. Um, plenty of rear seat space, plenty of trunk space. Uh, all in all, another great Hyundai. Sorry to uh, all you haters out there who don't want to hear that. But. <laughs> it's true, though. I mean, <laughs> I, I, we still get so much flack. And like uh, when people, um, they, people almost scoff at the fact that we like recommend Hyundais and Kias. And it's like, OK, it's not like we drive every car on the market. What, are, what do we know? <laughs> well, Jessica can speak to that. She said she sees it online. Yes. Yeah, I sure do. But you know what? Uh, people will say that they, the styling wise that Brian talked about. I mean, it's it's certainly what what Hyundai is doing just in general. They have some very attractive vehicles on the market. So I think sometimes it makes it hard for um people to to hate so much because they're like gosh wow that that looks so good but it's a hyundai um especially say like with like the santa cruz that just came out um but i think it these are vehicles they're entry level they're for usually younger drivers i mean this sort of hits it right on the nail exactly what you want um for first-time drivers are or even um, if you're just looking for a sedan and, and that's what you're interested in. Um, so I, I, I'm always excited to see um, sort of what they can do, what they can put in standard in some of these vehicles to make it safer for um, younger drivers. You know, I'm always, I was, I think what impressed, there were two things that impressed me about the lineup. I've actually driven uh, the hybrid and, and the inline and, First of all, all three are a little bit different in the interior as far as the instrument panel. And that's, it's, it's not major, but it's enough to know that you're in a different vehicle and that's expensive. And I thought that was much to their credit. But the other thing is when I drive a lower end vehicle, really any vehicle, I'm paying a lot of attention to NVH, noise, vibration, and harshness. And when I hit a bump or a manhole cover, it's one thing to feel it a little bit through the seat of your pants. It's something else again to start hearing it fairly harshly. And often your compact vehicles would, would be at cheaper designs of the suspension or they just don't have as much insulation. You hear it more. And I thought the Elantra was very close to the Sonata, the bigger on the midsize car. So I think they've, um, I agree with Brian and, and what you two have said, three have said, very impressive vehicles. And um, they continue to be so. All right, I'll stop talking and turn it back to you for the lightning round. Um, 
basically we always try and pick out a trending automotive topic. So let's take a break from discussing COVID, please, and talk about four initials, C-O-P-O. Chevrolet announced they will offer the non-street legal Camaro drag racer, a C-O-P-O Camaro, with a 572 cubic inch big block V8. The engine channels the spirit of the original 1969 COPO, which by the way stands for Central Office Production Order Camaro, and uses a three-speed automatic. When's the last time we saw a car with a three-speed? Buyers can add options such as a parachute, <laughs> okay, uh, but the big block COPO will start at $105,000, another six-figure uh, Detroit vehicle. Obviously, Chevy doesn't sell a lot of these vehicles, but will a big block option increase sales? And I should say, will it increase interest in the Camaro? What do you think? Is it pronounced C-O-P-O? I've always called it Copo. It is, is it? Copo. Uh, I, 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 it's my fault. So, But, but yeah. really, the, 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 the C-O-P-O or Copo thing started as a way for dealers to just order special batches of vehicles. And a couple of dealers said, hey, let's take the Camaro back in 69 and do something really outrageous with it. So Copo, thanks for the correction. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they've sold like, what was it? 700 since they've uh, restarted the program in 2012. Yeah. So uh, I could see it sparking some interests. I mean, I don't know. I don't hang out at the drag strip a ton. I'm not sure what the crowd generally thinks of somebody who rolls up in a brand new Copo and just starts running times. And I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of people at the drag strip who put a lot of emphasis and have a lot of pride in building their own cars and, and things like that. So I'd, I'd be curious to, if anybody buys one and who's listening and takes it to a drag strip, let me know. Cause I just want to sit and observe how people react. <laughs> the reaction. Yeah, Greg. Yeah, Greg kind of hit on it. Yeah, most legit racers, they they want to do everything themselves. But it is a turnkey package. I mean, you can buy it and show up and and run some impressive times. I don't know if they'll sell any more of them. That definitely will drum up some more excitement, though. It's fun to talk about. Uh, I love the fact that they're doing it. But, uh, you know, for any vehicle that you can't even legally drive on the street, um, you know, sales numbers aren't going to be huge especially when there's you know vehicles you can buy and drive on the street that have more horsepower good point. good point good point yeah i i mean i hope it drums up some some camaro press i mean that's not necessarily a, a bad thing i would hate to that's see good uh, uh i know we we've talked about it before you know or and it's just talked about in generals is you know when it's almost a when will the camaro disappear at this point and um I would hate to see yeah. that. Yeah, again, right? Because yeah. I, I would hate to see that. I, I, um, my mom owns a 2010, and I grew up driving it. And I, I mean, it's a, it's a solid car. And uh, you know, you, you know, we're we're losing sedans, and you know, these these really cool um, sort of powerful cars are that are entry entry level muscle car. I guess you maybe could call it um, going away. That does make me sad. <laughs> I think it has to make us all sad because I mean, these, these vehicles, they have a lot of uh, 
legacy to them, the uh, whole American automotive industry. And, you know, sport coupes are going away. I mean, look over at Ford, you know, the Mustang is almost almost the only car they make in this or sell in this country. And uh, GM's heading that way, too. So if this could spark interest so people all right they don't buy the copo camaro but they go in and buy something else that would be a good thing why do you think they uh started to do this they just like trip over some extra big blocks hanging around and <laughs> could be could be <laughs> like, that oh simple. man we forgot we put these away and forgot about them you know it also might be that they want to create a um a market for uh these to be collectibles they could be the last big block Camaros ever you know it's very right. possible that the next Camaro if there is one will be an EV for all we know that's what I was thinking John I was thinking something along yeah. the lines of like a almost a send-off for these really yeah. big engines because I feel like like when we see with um with Dodge um they're sort of like putting Hellcat in a bunch of in a yeah. bunch of things now and getting it over with before um emissions is going to hit them and they can no longer sell them. So. Yeah. On that point. I mean, sometimes you got to let the engineers just have some fun. I mean, they yeah. make their jobs miserable. I think on a daily basis, <laughs> making them not do cool things. So like every once in a while, you just got like the Dodge demon, you know, nobody was asking for that. That was just the engineers. Hey, let's go do this behind closed doors. And then maybe they'll <laughs> let us sell it. So yeah, sometimes you got to let those guys just enjoy their job for a change. I agree with that. I do think that that some of these last big V8s, you know, are going to find their ways on a collectible list. And of course, the key to that is the fewer, the better. You know, so if you're, you've got a Hellcat in a lot of vehicles, but you don't have this big block in very many Camaros. So maybe, maybe a Tubris, but they, Chevy yeah. was like, we're not going to have any production limits on this one because in previous Copos, I think it's all been 69. They limited to 69. We're like, no, right. no production limits on this big block. <laughs> I can't imagine they'll sell that many though. No. Yeah. All right. We've got a viewer uh, question from Paul. He says, I see more and more cars using electric or electronic parking brakes. What's wrong with the old fashioned handbrake? What are the advantage of an electronic parking brake? And do you like them? Meaning us. I don't think there's saying? anything wrong with the old fashioned handbrake. Like a, in the GR86, the, uh, the manual transmission still uses one, works just fine. I think it feels natural in a manual transmission car. Uh, but like everything, they found a better way. It still works basically the same. They just use an electric mechanism to, to pull on that cable. I will say I do like them uh, unless they do not disengage when I hit the gas pedal or the clutch mm. because I just feel like if it's electronic, it should be tied in and understand when I want to pull away. The whole idea is, is convenience. The, just pulling a lever, it's, it might seem like not that big of a deal, but just pulling a quick uh, tab is easier than pulling a, a handbrake sometimes. But yeah, I just like to, uh, to be able to pull away without having to disengage the handbrake on my own. Yeah, convenience. I think another big thing is, is space savings. Instead of having that handbrake take up the whole console, you can now just have a button, free up space for all your cell phones and whatever other uh, gadgets in your, you know, jewel pods or whatever else you need my, to carry. Your my center my console. other, but my uh, other, go, go ahead. No, 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 no. My other pet peeve. I just want to get it out there is that when you're forced to choose a direction with the uh, 
the parking brake. So these electronic parking brakes, it's like a pull to engage and a push to disengage. Some of them, I don't man. see why I can't be either way for both of them. Cause like sometimes like, I know again, it's a problem that just we have because we're in so many cars, but just like, I want to hit it, whatever I'm feeling at the moment. And it just works. <laughs> but if it's not super obvious, some are super obvious, whether, uh, how it operates, some are kind of vague. So yeah, just make it super obvious. And I got no problem with them. Yeah. Electric all the way. I have to say I'm, t- really? I'm I have, I have the typical handbrake and I don't like it at all. It sounds horrible. Um, it's sometimes tricky to uh, engage and disengage. I don't know whether it I have sounds a horrible. How are you one. using it? I, I use it on hills. That's an I. That's really when I use it. How do you make a U-turn, Robinson? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, what, what about car control? And what about being able to ease that brake off when you're on an incline and you've got a well, manual transmission car? You can't do that with electronic parking well, Let's brake. Let's Go say ahead, the, the 10 people who buy a manual transmission... <laughs> You know, know. they're, they're going to use the hill assist because they all have a hill assist in some way. I mean, it's, uh, it's very rarely do you get into a modern manual that doesn't have some sort of hill assist. So I went on uh, a Jaguar. I can't even remember which Jaguar. I apologize. But they were actually one of the first, believe it or not, to have an electronic parking brake. And like everyone's like, well, what do you do in an emergency? Like you just press the button or how does it work? And, you know, they were specific. You're like, uh, if you're driving and you just touch it once, it's not going to come on. If you pull it up and hold it, it will engage like a real emergency brake. And they encouraged us to do it. So like we were, we were all driving around just pulling on this thing and locking up the rear tire. It was a, it was a fun event. <laughs> well, I, I think, uh, Brian, I think you hit on the, the space saving aspect. That's probably the number one reason that they're going away just like uh, console shifters, they want to use that space for a lot of other things, uh, multiple cup holders and cubby holes, and that's what people want. But I, I still, I mean, I've actually got a truck with a pedal parking brake. That's how old it is. But I miss the, uh, the handbrakes. But there you go. It's gone. Thanks, everybody. And thank for all of you out there for listening and watching today. Uh, our podcast a crowd, Brian, Greg, and Jessica, thanks for taking the time and all of you out there. We all should give thanks to Jim Bigwood, our audio supervisor, who makes sure that we sound uh, just crystal clear. Greg's our podcast creator. Like I said, we're welcoming him back. Producer, and, uh, not creator. Uh, what? Producer. 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 Our creator is the one and only Bob Mixter. To all of you out there, if you uh, are just stumbling upon us, we hope you'll actually watch MotorWeek, the television series. You can go to MotorWeek.org, pull down the About the Show tab, put in your uh, zip code, and see which public television stations around you carry us. Or you can hop on over to the Motor Train Cable channel. We usually have a new episode there every Tuesday evening. We encourage you to go to our YouTube.com slash MotorWeek website where you can see thousands of the segments that we have done and we're also in the streaming service of pbs living a prime channel so we're out there if you've got a video screen of any type you can be a part of motor week thanks very much for everyone joining us and we'll see you next time and again thanks very much for being a part of motor week you've been listening to the podcast of motor week television's original automotive magazine MotorWeek is made possible by 
TireRack.com and RockAuto.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.